right, congratulations, you're stuck with me today. Pastor's out of town with wedding stuff and things like that, so graduate Sunday and you were stuck with me. So, um, this morning, oh, I gotta get my illustration over here that I left. So, um, talking about, you know, how our graduates are leaving and, or not leaving, but you know, they're, they're changing a new stage of life and how all those things happen and they're going out into the world, and so we're always, of course, challenging our faith to, uh, you know, to be different than the world. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at that and, and how Scripture unfolds that, and how, how does that, what does that really mean? What does that really look like for us as individuals, as families, as, as you being the spiritual leaders of your household? And so, um, you know, when, you know, just for the purpose of illustration here, um, and this water is nice and clear and pure, even though it's not really, but we'll just pretend it is, right? Um, and, you know, when, when we talk about how we as Christians live our lives as believers, as, as followers of Jesus, followers of the way, as it says in Scripture, and um, we're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be different. And so when God pours into us his grace, his mercy, his truth, and all these blessings into our life, and he, he, and he fills us up with and expects us to, to do something different, to stand out. But all too often, unfortunately, we as believers, we, um, I was about to say this is not working. I was about to be scared because I think it's going to make a mess. But it finally worked. Sorry, <laughs> my heart was skipping a beat. Because when God poured, you'll see why in a second. I'm sorry. I'm random this morning. Um, <laughs> imagine that. I'm a student minister. All right. So, um, you know, when, you, when God pours into us, but then when we conform to the world, we then become a dead end. Right? Things flow to us. That's, you know, I was worried about it not working, you know what I'm saying? Because that could get messy and I'd be all wet. And then, the, whatever, right? So, you know, we've, instead of being, God didn't design us, didn't create us. Our purpose is not to be flowed to and go, eh. No, we're supposed to be a conduit of what, you know, y'all are going to be wondering the entire time secret. All right. Um, but we're supposed to allow it to flow through us. So then when it flows through us, then God increases what flows to us. And we are more blessed because we blessed because we're different. Because we didn't conform to the world. So let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so there's all different terms we have for this kind of thing, right? Conforming to the world. We, Older generations are the, some, well, I won't say older, some generations in the room will, will call this keeping up with the Joneses, right? Whereas other generations in the room go, who? Who are they? Or you can say keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> Lord have mercy, please no. All right. Here's a trail of destruction. Sorry, moving on. All right. Um, and so, uh, you know, how many decisions we make in our lives when we, we see someone else go, oh, I got to have that. I'm going to do that. I, I, this. And we drive down a street and all these decisions in our life boil down to what other people are doing. Even when we were kids, we were doing it. Oh, those shoes make you jump three inches higher. Really? I got to have some of those. And so you conform to the, even though it doesn't, whatever, right? And so we can, we're conform, we conform, we conform. And I, buying shoes hurts no one. I get it. It's just the mindset right? It's the mindset of how we're pursuing our lives, how we're, how we're living our lives, leading our lives. And so you see it here on the screen, um, and you see it uh, in the scripture, in your app, whatever you got. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. 
Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So don't conform. Of course, Scripture, we can go through Scripture point at many examples of God talking about this, how he wants to step out. You know, a few books prior to Romans, Jesus talks about being soft and light. Right? And so he's specifically salt. Salt is this incredible thing that you put in things, you pour on things, and it, it doesn't change. So the salt doesn't change when you put it in water, for instance. Okay? When you pour it in the water or you put it on ice, right? You put it on ice, why? So it melts, right? And no, it doesn't technically melt the ice. It's lowering the freezing point of water. Now catch that? Everybody catching that? Okay? So the salt doesn't change its, uh, its, its, uh, makeup. It doesn't change. The salt is still there, but the water is beginning to change forms from ice back to water. Or you put it into a, a pot you're going to boil. You put salt in the water so you lower the boiling point so the water boils sooner. Right? So the salt is still there. So if you boil all the water off, you come back, the salt's still there. All the water's gone. But it changed how the water behaved. So that's what the conforming, we're not supposed to be, we're supposed to be in the world, but we're not supposed to soak in the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. And so that's obviously what, what the Scripture is teaching us as believers, how we're supposed to walk our life. So if we're not conforming to this world, then we should look different from the world around us, or we should look different from our neighbors, especially if we have neighbors or coworkers who are not followers of Christ. And so I have a challenge for all of us to really consider this morning. Okay? When you look at the neighbors around you, you get friends that you have, coworkers you have, how similar do you look to them? Or how different do you look than them? Because there's no difference that should bother you. What do I mean? Okay, a few things we can look at here. A few emotions. How about fear? Okay, we can talk about the way, different ways that fear comes into our life or, or how, how it affects us, right? And obviously something very real in our minds is the whole COVID thing, right? And so I'm not, I'm not jumping on anybody. I'm just going to ask you because it's a great way to measure this. How has your response as a follower of Christ been the same or different when it comes to COVID as one of your unbelieving neighbors? Because it's scary. I get it. We have people, we, you know, health issues, but, but how do you, you know, again, ultimately is how do you face death, right? What does the scripture say about a spirit of fear? God didn't put that there. And again, I, that was a heavy one. I know, that's heavy. But any part of fear in your life, branch out, shake it off, right? Anyway, but how do you handle fear in your life? How, how much does it look like your neighbor handling fear, especially if your neighbor doesn't follow Christ? If it looks the same, maybe that should bother us. Maybe you've conformed. To, we, we, I say you, when I say you, I'm, I'm looking at mirror here, so don't, I'm not doing this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, hopefully not. Um, he's a jerk. Sorry. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Paul writes this facing imminent death. He's in prison, and it is 2 Timothy <laughs> for a reason. It was way close to the end, all right? How about another one? Truth. How about truth? What do you trust as sources of truth as compared to your neighbors or coworkers? okay? Now, you know, I'm just going to share with you pet peeve. The students have heard this from before. <laughs> I hear all the time. 
pet peeve of mine is for, especially a believer, okay? If you pick up your scripture and you read the Bible, you go, this is true. And you turn around and you read a headline somewhere and you go squawking everywhere, that's true. How is a person supposed to believe? And, and you don't know if the headline is true or not. You read a headline and you want to believe it because, you believe, because it aligns with your politics, right? And, and, and one way or the other. And so you want to say that's true, it's true, and you believe it. But yet, how, am I, how is someone supposed to believe your opinion on Scripture if you're out spouting what this headline says is probably not all true? Understand the pattern, okay? And th- this is kind of to the side, but understand the pattern, okay? I'm going I'm to go with the Washington Post and New York Post. That's a left-leaning and a right-leaning, all right? So we're all balanced equal here, right? My headphone keeps dancing on me. Uh, it, it, it's, and so if you, if you watch, and I have heard people commentate on this, they will post things that are not totally true, and then all the secondary sources kind of pick it up and run with it, and it becomes this thing that, oh, this is true. And then the next, within 24 hours, those, those news sources have retracted those headlines or parts of those stories. But no one catches that. So the next time you read a headline, you should consider, consider exactly how true it was to begin with. Okay? Yeah, it's intentional. They're trying to make us crazy. That's the, uh, anyway, sorry. That's not even what I'm about. But you get, what, is your, what do you trust as the sources of truth, right? If you're going to say the Scripture's true, and you got to be careful at how you get around spouting everything else is true, or you better have some facts to back it up. Does that make sense? Your credibility as a believer is on the line. No one's going to believe the Scripture is true if everything else is true as well, according to you, according to us, or whatever. Okay? So it's a, it's tr- if you look the same as your neighbor when it comes to a truth factor, and they're not believers— then why are they concerned about who we are and, and what, what's a major part of our life and our faith? And graduates, they're in the middle of all, they've been in the middle of all this, and goodness knows, anyway. Some of you may have heard about the social justice scores going around the country, or the world, not country yet, the world, where um, it's, it's more of a corporate level here in America, some places, very, very minor, but still it's coming. It, I think in China, other places, it's, it's, it's a, in, individuals have social justice scores where they rate you by your, acti- your activity on social media and this and that, if you're a good citizen or not, if you're a good human or not, and corporations are being pressured. Well, you know, if you say this, well, you'll get a high score. If you say this, you get a low score, okay? Well, here's the problem with the social justice score as, as it's heading this way, if you haven't heard about it, I'm sure you will in the, in, in the future, is that pretty much, I'm just going to say, if on Facebook you go and you express something about your faith, your social justice, social justice score is going to take a hit. Right? So here's what I'm waiting to hear. I'm waiting to hear someone tell me, well, if you love your neighbor, you'll have a good social justice score. No, Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to look a little different than my neighbor and have a bad social justice score if it's going to rank me on my faith. Watch out for it. It's coming. But your sources are truth, right? Sources are truth. How do, you, how do you look different than your neighbor? How about giving? Oh, no, he's talking about money. All right, real brief. All right, because the pastor's not here. <laughs> he didn't put me up to it. I'm not his little bulldog. That'd be fun, though. All right. Um, how about giving? Here's, here's, a, here's a fact. 80% of people in this room don't tithe. Straight up. Right? Did your toe hurt? You know, in, 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 here in the near future, if you haven't heard, you know, we're looking at building a building. 
right? And for a children's area. So they can all be in one place kind of thing. It was in a business meeting here, so I'm not like, giving that class that information, <laughs> I hope. Is there a sniper up there? All right. Um, and so, no, the business meeting recently talked, showed the plans, building going to go up, and of course, church has got to finalize the votes on that stuff, but looking to start raising money, right? You know, the crazy thing about it is the church wouldn't have to say, hey, we need your money if everyone tithed. I'm sorry. I'm being a jerk. But how do you look? So your neighbor, okay? So your neighbor who's not a believer. The average American gives 3% or less. It's like 2.9% of their income. It's your charitable giving. The word tithe means 10%. Heard someone say, we should give a 5% tithe. No, that's not what that means. It means 10%. And yes, it is a New Testament teaching as well. Jesus mentioned it, okay? In case you're going through your mind trying to find your way out of it. So I'm just, it's a challenge. How do you look different than your neighbor? Are you being more generous than your neighbor? If not, maybe that concern you, okay? Malachi 3.10, okay? says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord. You realize there are, this is one of very few places where God says, test me, and it's about your money. Money, money, money. All right, anyway, yeah, you don't hear that. All right. So test me, he says. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing on you without measure. Okay, when I say 80% in this room, you realize I'm saying 80% statistically. I'm not, I don't go down going, okay, one, they give, they don't. You, you get that right. Statistics, all right, okay, just make sure you know. I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about people giving, whatever. It's not my deal. But anyway, so how, about how, do, how much do you look like your neighbor, okay? Entertainment. Oh, no, here he goes. He's meddling. How similar do your entertainment choices look like your neighbor or your coworker? If they're the same... things you listen to, things you watch, things you pour into your mind. Maybe it should be a little different, you reckon? What does Scripture say in Philippians 4, 8? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. How much of the entertainment stuff we pour in our brains doesn't allow us to dwell on those kind of things. How about Ephesians says, there should be no hint of sexual immorality among you. The word sexual immorality there comes from the word porneo, okay, which we get the word pornography from, right? But that word means anything sex-related outside of a marriage relationship, marriage relationship between a husband and wife. So what you're watching on TV, that's, that's not about your marriage. Then guess what? You violated scripture. So another question is, how, do you, how are you conforming? Is how much do you truly believe scripture? How much do we actually put scripture into practice in our lives? No, no you know, do I think being a nun or a monk? No, you know, hey, if, if God calls you to that, that's fine. But obviously we are not all called believers to be monks and nuns. Because God says, do not conform to this world. He doesn't say, go and hide so you don't have to worry about it. Be a part of the world, not of the world, right? So this is this incredible balance line that y'all deal with, these graduates deal with, and they deal with it in a new ways. They go out into higher education with all these really smart people are trying to tell them that what they've grown up with is baloney and hogwash. And we hear it every day. Y'all hear it too. You see, you know, it's not hard to find at all for crying out loud. 
about how faith is weak. Faith is, you know, but do not be conformed. And how about this one? Spiritual leadership. And I get it. I, you know, if you, you, and you could bust up my little illustration here, right, with, uh, <laughs> with, with well, if my neighbor's not, uh, not a believer, they're not really spiritually in their family. Well, exactly they're not, right? That, that's kind of the point. But back up a second, okay? So your neighbor, okay, may, if they had kids, whatever, they say, hey, go play soccer, hey, or go play sports, or hey, go to school, hey, go do this, hey, go do this. But spiritual leadership in your family has to look different. That you don't tell your kids to go to church. You say, hey, kids, come on to church. Dads, step up as a spiritual leader in your family. In student ministry, in any church, not in general, I'm not saying, hey, we're, we're horrible here. Okay, don't. In general, the biggest hurdle to defeat in student ministry is a lack of spiritual leadership from dads. What about moms? Yeah, that too. But if you read statistics, when dad doesn't come to church, it is horribly bad of the success rate of the spiritual journey of a student on in the college and adult life. Mom could not come to church, and dad comes to church regularly, and there's like this, it's a 44% chance they'll be fine. Whereas if dad doesn't come and mom does, it's like it goes down by like 30 plus percent. Dads, lead, don't point and say go. How do you do that? There's tons of ways. And of course, can you, if you want to find out, Contact me, bmills at fbcbutton.org, bowmills on Facebook, whatever. Website, emails, social media, whatever. Ask, and we'll find resources. Dads, lead your families. Your wife, the mother of your kids, said to beg you to come to church. Told you I'm being a jerk this morning. But I only get up here once a year. I mean, come on, right? I got to let it out somewhere. All right. Spiritual leadership. How do you look different than your neighbor does when it comes to spiritual leadership? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Get this, verse 7. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and you get up. Not just when you take in the church on Sunday and let somebody else do it. I'm being a jerk. And we can go on and on area after area in our lives. How are you conforming? Just, oh, yes, that's fine. That'll do it. I mean, in our society, are, you, are we really going to, you know, Promise Keepers, okay? It's kind of making a comeback, whatever. I remember years ago, Promise Keepers got railed and we protested about feminists. They're trying to dominate women, dominate women. When, when if you read the promises of Promise Keeper, it says, hey, love your wife, serve your wife, be a leader to your wife. Like, what are they talking about? Because they don't get it. One, one, it's obvious our culture wants weak men. Am I right? Am I right? Anybody want to argue with that? I'd love to argue about it with you. Obviously, it'd be kind of embarrassing in front of everybody, but whatever. So, but it's, they want weak men because Scripture says, be a strong man. Hello, that kind of makes sense. There's a battle going on, right? 
Do not be conformed. Stand out. Whatever area it is, don't be, if, if you, if you look, and I tell my students this, if you, if you're approaching something in your life and you look like everyone else, you are not doing it God's way. It should be different somehow. It should have either, you know, more quality to it or it should have more effort to it or it should have, uh, you know, a, a more sincerity to it or more passion to it because, you are doing it for the glory of God. So getting back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, when, and, and talking about this, there are two reminders from this passage, two keys to this passage that, that are very simple. But here's the first one. Worship is the way we live, not what we do on Sunday morning. The reason that you are on this earth and you take breath is to bring glory to God in all that you do. That's why you're sitting here right now so you can walk out these doors and everyone you come in contact, that breath is a pleasant aroma. Now I get it. You're thinking, well, what if I had any tic-tac then? No, you get it. Because everywhere you go, you're breathing, you're a pleasant presence. Hebrew scholars um, say that when you go back to the word Yahweh, um, that it's, in the Hebrew, it's a very interesting uh, word, instant pronunciation, because it's, it's, there are, I'm no Hebrew expert at all, um, but they have very breathy sounds to them. That, you know, they are, um, they are, since they say there are vowels in the Hebrew language, so to speak, even though they're not really. But again, I don't explain it. I just know what it means. What I'm trying to say, maybe. We'll see. All right. So, so Yahweh is more like a Okay? It's, it's more like this, you know, this thing you can't really say, but when you think about it, it sounds like breathing. And Hebrew scholars say when you go back to the commandment that says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And just about everyone else in the room go, well, it means you can't say, you know, God and that word. Or Jesus, whatever, you know, that, that's taking God's name in vain. When no, I think the actual meaning of that commandment is way deeper. And the fact that every breath you take, you are saying the name of Yahweh. And so when you live your life opposed to God, when you live your life not, you know, or live your life being conformed to this world, that is taking God's name in vain. Worship is how we live not what we do on Sunday morning. Every breath you take is an act of worship. How are you using your breath? Number two, renewing your mind is a process. I have no, no, uh, no thought, no imagination that, you know, something I said here, everybody's going out in your lives, oh man, that was, that was great, I'm totally, good. I'm totally different. I'm not conforming to nothing. I know it's double negative, deal with it. You know, whatever. <laughs> I have no inclination to that. But I would challenge you, find one area in your life that you know you've conformed to the world too much. Find one and work on it. Hey, Dad, is there so, is, you know, maybe, it's just, maybe it's being a part of the process of getting to church Sunday morning that you need to step up instead of being the one being tugged as well. That's, if that's one thing you need to work on for a month, then do it. But renewing is a process, and it's a crockpot, not a microwave. This passage, it, you know, talks about 
you being a, the first, verse one talks about you being a sacrifice. Your life is a sacrifice. It, it, you know, it's, it's an act of worship because your life is about bringing glory to God. And then as you do that, this process of not being informed is a process. It's always being evaluated. Chuck Colson. I tell you who he is, but it's a waste of time. Look him up. <laughs> he says this. <clears throat> The church's singular failure in recent decades has been the failure to see Christianity as a life system which governs every area of our existence. What does that mean? I see it in students every week, every time they come to church. You think I'm too naive to know that that's not how they talk at school? Right? Come to church, you have this language you can use. Go to school... You can, you're allowed to use more colorful words at school, right? <laughs> right? And so we live our life in a box. So I've got a church box. I've got my school box. I've got my athletics box. I've got my uh, you know, hobby box. I've got my family box, whatever. And, and we act a little different in every place. No wonder we're so insecure. No wonder we're having such a hard time. Because we're trying to keep up all the lives we're living instead of just living one life. We're crying out loud. Jesus didn't call you to insecurity. God hasn't called you to a path of, of many faces. He called you to a life of security and knowing your eternity and knowing who you are and it's how you should live and how you should act. One box, not many boxes. Renewing is a process. <clears throat> Maybe you need to begin to break, up and break down one box at a time and figure out which box needs to be broken down next. <clears throat> Worship is the way we live. And renewing your mind is a process. So what kind of response do you have to this? Well, maybe you have, maybe you see here you go, you know, I don't know that, I'm not secure in my eternity. You know, if, if you walk out these doors, get in the car, take off, and something tragic happened, you're going, well, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Well, you know, if you don't know for sure, it's not very hard to know for sure. Because that's the promise that Christ offers is security in your eternity, not, well, maybe so in my eternity. No. Jesus Christ died on a cross so you could be secure. Now you can go, well, I don't know if that was enough. Well, then what else did God have to do? Place your insecurity into his security. And then you, you'll likely then begin to see or have some at least some gut feelings about how you should be different than your neighbor or coworker. So maybe that's your first step, is, is, is confessing, hey, I need, forget, I need to know for sure. Or maybe you know you're forgiven, maybe you are a believer in Jesus, but maybe you've been conforming and being like your neighbor in too many ways. And maybe during this time, you need to sit there and you need to begin to list and ask God to be painfully honest with you and put that list out there and, and, and expose in your life what needs to be unconformed in your life. Or maybe you are different from your neighbors. Maybe you're secure in your faith and you are different. You know you are. But maybe you need to take some steps in finding more out about the spiritual direction of your neighbors. So whether you've never made a decision to follow Christ, whether you have when you're struggling, whether you have and, 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 you're, and you're moving in the right direction, there's all of us in here have a decision we can make. Because walking in the church this morning shouldn't be about checking it off your list. It should be about allowing God to pour into your heart and that something else pours out 
and you're not just being, not just the end result of it yourself. Be a blessing to someone where God sees them in your life. So we're going to pray. And if I'll be down here at front, as we usually are. Um, someone will be at the next steps desk after church to talk to you if, if you aren't comfortable coming down front. But what decisions do you have to make? How, you know, right there in your seat, you make all the decisions you need as far as change part of your life, right? So don't sit there and just be brain dead. Sit there and, and ask God what he's showing you, where he's pointing you during this time of decision and responding to his word. Let's pray. God, you clearly challenge us in your word. Your word's pretty straight. And if we actually believe what your word says, we know that it's a slap in the face. But God, you put a standard out there for it to follow. And you didn't say, hey, we can do this maybe if. No, you're pretty straightforward about it. And I thank you for that. So guys, we begin to contemplate now on what we can do to take steps further in our relationship with you. Help us to see those things in our life that need to be untangled, where we need to be less conformed to this world, where we can be different than our neighbors so that they can see your love flowing through us. They can see your grace as a presence in our lives. They can see how our faith defines what we do, what we watch, what we listen to, how we act, how we lead our families, how we give, how we handle fear, and on and on we could go. So God, during this time, knock us around a little bit. Make it loud and clear to us what we need to do. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen.